Amen. Just want to encourage you all. Thank you for being here. Welcome those in the chapel, those online. It's great to see you. It's great to have Daniel and Rosemary Henderson with us, the great shepherd of the sheep under the bigger shepherd who's the, who's the shepherd of all sheep. Uh, Daniel is a great friend and mentor, and, and uh, he and his wife, Rosemary, and their family are here. Some of their family are here. It's great to see all of you. Um, what a blessing they are. Strategic Renewal, 6-4 Fellowship. Eastlake is in joyous partnership with them and looking forward to what God has in store uh, in the days, weeks, years ahead. And we're blessed in Daniel's friendship and leadership in our life. I was having lunch with a, with a friend uh, that someone had introduced me to this week, another pastor, um, uh, from a little ways away, and we met in Roanoke for lunch. Didn't know who I was looking for. He didn't know who he was looking for. We met, met each other. We're talking just a few minutes, and he tells me about a book that he quoted in a sermon recently uh, by a guy named Daniel Henderson. <laughs> and I said, you won't believe me if I tell you, but that dude is at Manita right now. And uh, so uh, Daniel's ministry is broad and wide and a blessing to so many. And he said, I, I met him and heard him in... Christ Together's conference. Where would that have been, Daniel, last fall? Greenville, Greenville uh, South, Car- South Carolina. And uh, he said, what a blessing. So thank you, Daniel, for your investment in pastors and allowing us vicariously through you to help bless pastors. And uh, we want to do that. I want to say while, we're, while, while I'm here is in the first weekend in May, um, Daniel and, and Strategic Renewal is doing a, uh, a weekend of renewal uh, sort of uh, showing and sharing their, their, their ministry in Washington, D.C. And there's really some really cool opportunities there, maybe some Museum of the Bible or some White House tours. I'm not even sure what all's involved, but uh, I'll make it sound good. You're going to have breakfast with Trump. <clears throat> Six people just said yes, and all the rest left the church. But anyways... Uh, uh, no, anyways, it is going to be a great weekend. They've got, they're, they're working on some, some exciting speakers. And uh, Ben is actually going up there to lead worship for them that weekend. And uh, so if, if you're interested in learning more about what they're doing, Daniel, I'm just throwing this out as a freebie this morning. Um, contact the church office and we can connect you. I would be there, but I'm running the triathlon at Smith Mountain Lake that, that uh, Saturday morning. So Daniel, I'm sorry. If this training goes south on me, I'll just say I needed to go minister instead of running a race. And uh, use that as my excuse. Uh, I'm excited about that every time when I'm not training. When I'm training, I'm not nearly as excited about it. I get, uh, got home, get home on a Friday evening, as I said last week, did it again this week, get home late on a Friday evening and say, oh boy, I was thinking steak and now my wife's taking me to the Y. But anyways, the only question I have about that is why? Uh, we're looking forward to that. It's great to be, um, to, to be here this morning. It's great to have, I want to introduce this guy from the platform with my brother, Chuck Robb. Jeff, if many of you know my brother, Jeff is president of Renew a Nation. And they just hired uh, Chuck from Louisiana. And he's working on their team and is a part of their team. And we're excited to have him and Hopefully his family will be joining him here in a few weeks when school lets out. And uh, we're just going to right now envelop them into the Eastlake family. And thank you, Chuck, for being here this morning and look forward to getting to meet you and know you better. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Last week we launched L365. 
a one-year countdown to our move. L365 is a is a 12-month leadership development journey raising up 365 holy, unified, engaged believers for multiplying kingdom impact. We believe in 365 days. We need to work hard because how many of you know that our, our, our project down the road is not about a building? It's about making impact for the kingdom of God. And our goal is, is not to just have a great band and a, and a preacher. Our goal is to raise up Hundreds and hundreds of young people, men and women, who know how to live out the gospel in a way that impacts those around us, both locally and around the world. And so we're working to raise up 365 leaders in 365 days, and we're praying for 365 new converts in the next year. Amen? So that means, guess what that means? That means Pastor Troy can't do that. That means that God's going to use you. And God's going to use your family and your connections to, to lead people to Christ. So as we're doing that, I, I, I'm taking this, these few weeks prior to Easter, and we're looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught us uh, centered around the kingdom of God. And uh, last Sunday, we looked at Matthew chapter 25. We looked at the parable of the talents. This morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 13. Perhaps Matthew chapter 13 is, is one of the most uh, concentrated chapters in all the Bible of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven as it's referred to in Matthew 13, primarily because Jews were a little hesitate, to, hesitant to use the word God and they didn't want to blaspheme. And so kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are really simultaneous, uh, synonymous terms. But Jesus teaches seven parables in Matthew 13 on the kingdom of heaven. Seven parables. In the early parts of chapter 13, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven with its slow, pervasive growth. He describes that it is delayed in its coming and fulfillment. As a matter of fact, if you could, if you could categorize the, the parables in Matthew chapter 13, you would almost categorize the first four parables or so in the early parts of this chapter as sort of a, a little bit of a pessimistic view of the kingdom. By that I mean Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went forth and sowed seed. And 75% of his effort produced nothing. Some here and produce nothing. Some fell here, produce nothing. Some fell here and produce nothing. But then some fell on good ground, brought forth 30, 60, or 100 fold. Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven in the early parts of Matthew chapter 13 as, as a mustard seed. He's, he's highlighting its insignificance, the small nature of it. He describes the kingdom of heaven uh, with the parable of a, of a man who planted wheat and there were tares that grew up amongst that wheat. And he said the kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. The good and the bad are going to kind of coexist together. Jesus gives us this, not the most triumphant even though it's a beautiful thing and we know that we're sowing seed, these are all good truths and, and there's a, there's, it's a wonderful truth. Jesus, there's a lot there to say, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm showing you the contrast from what Jesus talked about in the first part of Matthew chapter 13 to the passage that we're going to look at here this morning. He seems to be highlighting its characteristics, that of being ineffective, a sower who sowed and brought a 75% fail rate. 
Maybe it's inferior nature. The kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed. It's incomplete. It's yet unseen. We're waiting for it. It's infiltrated. There are tares amongst the wheat. There's believers amongst the, amongst the believers. And yet we see in these verses that I, I can almost in my mind's eye imagine Jesus looking at those. And this is really chapter 12 and chapter 13 are one sermon. It's an interesting, uh, interesting study because in chapter 12, he was really, he had a lot of disruptions in the service. There were people asking questions and co- kind of con- contradicting him. And, and, and then chapter 13, he gets rolling on these parables about the kingdom. And it's almost as though I can see Jesus looking at his disciples after telling about all of the, the, the slow-growing, hidden characteristics of the kingdom that he, that he comes to Matthew 13 and verse 44 and he shares them this as a word of an encouragement. Rather than the slow developing, perhaps unattractive characteristics that may cause his followers to question the value of pursuing the kingdom, he adds two short parables that together only take up three verses. Listen to what he said in Matthew 13 verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, for those of you who are lawyers or really big on uh, ethics and are strict rule, rule uh, followers, let me just make sure that you understand Jesus wasn't talking about a man being unethical. That sounds like he said, Daryl had five acres for sale and I went over there to buy it, to look at it, and I found a bunch of gold buried on there. So I covered it up real quick and called my real estate agent. Can we do the closing tomorrow? No, Jewish law said basically finders keepers. Something was lost, you found it. By Jewish law, you owned it. If this man was unethical, he wouldn't have buried it back and covered it up. He'd have just picked it up and ran with it, right? So Jesus said, this man found this treasure in this field and covered it up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then he gives a second, very similar parable, verse 45. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went out and sold all that he had. And he bought it. So this passage of scripture talks about the kingdom of heaven as we think about our future, as we think about the work that God has called us to do, as we think about raising up 365 leaders, there's some really, really, really important truth here that I want to try to uh, extract for us this morning with the help of the Lord. Let me mention a couple important things about the kingdom of heaven that we need to know. Let's first begin by trying to get a grasp on what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. We need to know that the kingdom of heaven is the reign of Christ in our life. There's, a different, there's different ways of, of, of looking at the kingdom of heaven when we think about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, at different times, how many of you know, first of all, that God has always been in charge? Somebody say amen. The reign of God. The kingdom of heaven is not so much a place as it is God's position. It's his reign. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was sort of illustrated in the national representation of the people of Israel. They were God's people. They were his chosen people. And the kingdom of God was viewed and understood as you look at them through their legal and their law and their legal system. 
It was a tangible kingdom with boundaries around cities and nation. It was the reign of God that was through patriarchs and prophets and peace. It was a national expression of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Most of the time when you and I think about the kingdom of God, perhaps it's quick for us, to our mind rather, to go quickly to the kingdom of God that is coming. How many of you know that God is going to rule the earth for all eternity? And how many of you know that Jesus is coming back to set up his heavenly kingdom? There's coming a day when Christ is, is, is going to return to earth All evil, all sickness, all things that entered in from the curse of sin will be banished. Satan will be bound and cast into out of darkness. There will be no sin, no evil. Everything will be glorious. It will be the Garden of Eden restored and on steroids. The kingdom of God. We say, man, I'm looking forward to the kingdom of heaven. It's one of the reasons I, I, I think you can grammatically make that song correct just like it is. He is reigning and will reign forevermore. But that's why I don't like us to put the reign of Christ into the future in only a future tense because it assumes that we're living here and Christ is sort of not in charge. No, we're living in the kingdom of heaven where the tares and the wheat are growing together. But I got big news for you this morning. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning through the kingdom that he set up through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Because that is what Jesus is talking about. In Mark chapter 1, he said, the kingdom of God is here. They said, oh, great, let's go knock off the Romans. He said, no, 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 no. My kingdom's not of this world. His kingdom was expressed in the people of Israel. His kingdom will be fulfilled in his coming kingdom where all darkness will be destroyed. But in this day, Christ came through his teachings, through his life, through his sinless death and burial and his resurrection on the third day and then his ascension and the sending of his Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. Christ has set up a spiritual kingdom and he is ruling and reigning in the hearts of men and women who have put their faith and trust in him. Now, now that I've rambled around that reality this morning for a moment, I want us to know that the kingdom of heaven is having the powerful, listen, is having the powerful, saving reign of Christ in our lives. Paul said in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not stuff we do. It's not going to church. It's not just rules we follow. Listen, he said, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is the salvation that Christ brings into our life. It is the spirit of God ruling and reigning in our life. It is the peace of God keeping our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is the will of God being performed in our lives. This is the supernatural spiritual kingdom of God that is alive and and conquering and ruling and reigning today. Praise God for the illustration we got in the Old Testament. Praise God for what is yet to be. But I got news for you. Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords in every heart and every life of every person who's put their faith and trust in him. It's an, it's an, it's an already but not yet reality. He's living and reigning. We are victorious by the work of Christ. 
And yet there's coming a day where it's going to be more uh, universal than it is today. But this morning, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want, you to, I want us to understand these terms. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, I want us to back up there just for a moment. Because if the kingdom of heaven is the reign of Christ in my life, then Jesus is saying the person who is living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the person who has the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in their life, they have something like a treasure that's been hidden in a field that is priceless. You talk, we talk a lot in, at East Lake, we, talk about, we want to expand the kingdom of God. And some people think we think that means Property. That was a joke, but anyways. We want to expand the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is not acreage. The kingdom of God is hearts. And we're not expanding the kingdom of God by buying more stuff and building more buildings. We're expanding the kingdom of God when another soul surrenders to the lordship of Jesus Christ and cherishes and treasures him as their everything. And when we're talking about 365 leaders, listen, we're not talking about 365 people who volunteer and get all robust and get all excited about our little agenda. And No, no, we're talking about 365 or 500 or 750 people whose hearts are totally sold out to Jesus who want more than anything else to have him ruling and reigning in their life which brings me to this second reality and that is that the kingdom of heaven has enormous value whereas before the kingdom is likened to that which is insignificant now Jesus illustrates the enormous value of the kingdom by likening it to precious pearls or a hidden treasure the message of these two brief parables is this. The, listen, listen, listen. This is the message. You just need to get this and then you can leave if you need to. The reign, listen, the, the, listen, the reign of God in our life is so valuable that if you lose everything in order to get it, it is a joyful trade-off. Some of you don't believe that. Matthew Henry said, those who discern this treasure in the field and value it aright will never be at ease until they have made it their own on any terms. The value of Christ's rule in our life is illustrated by the pearl and the treasure. And we could take time this morning and talk about what that meant. But the value, the value of this treasure this, this, the kingdom of heaven is like having the Lord reigning supreme in our life is like something very precious. We don't need more active people. We don't need more volunteering people alone. We need more surrendered people filled with the Holy Spirit, yielded to the word of God, cherishing Jesus as their all and in all. That's what we really need. All of our, all of our purses, uh, human ingenuity, all of our strengths and all of our human ambitions are wonderful when sanctified and applied. I mentioned that last week. When they are sanctified and filled with the Spirit and, and enabled by the grace and the Spirit of God. But I want to tell you something. What we really need is we need men and women who have cherished the treasure of having Jesus in control of their life. Amen.
I want you to picture this with me this morning. Jesus tells these two stories. This man, this merchant man, is looking for this one pearl. He's been searching the internet for it forever. That's not in the Greek. It's just in the English. He finds it. And the price of it is so exorbitant that he goes home and he has a yard sale. And he sells everything in his garage. And then he goes in the house and he starts emptying out the cabinets. And he sells his couch and he sells his television and he sells his rugs. He goes into his bedroom, he gets his clothes, he goes out, he sells everything that he owns. The house is completely empty. He calls Julia Keep. They put a yard sign in the front and they sell the house. He takes all the money that he's accumulated from selling everything and he goes down to the place selling the pearl and he gives them all the money for everything that he had ever owned and he gets a pearl. And I want you to imagine this. I want you to picture him this morning. He's sitting on the curb with nothing to his name but a pearl. And here's what I want you to imagine. Uh, that, that, that's a little, you just, some of you just envisioned that guy standing at 581 in Elm Avenue with a cardboard sign, didn't you? <laughs> Come on, didn't you? No, no, no. I want you to imagine this. The Bible says, listen, the Bible says, then in his joy, Look at the smile on his face. He's delighted. He has, he has nothing. He has nothing, but he has everything that his heart ever longed for. Can I tell you something this morning? That having the precious presence of Jesus ruling and reigning in your life makes every other thing in this life dim in comparison. The kingdom of heaven is enormously valuable. The worth of having God ruling over you and for you over everything else, it's not hard to see why that is so valuable. Listen, John Piper says, if the omnipotent, all-wise God is ruling over all things for your joy... Everything must be working for your good, no matter how painful. And in the end, God guarantees he will triumph in your life over all evil and pain. This, my friend, is a kingdom treasure. Let me say quickly that thirdly, that the kingdom of heaven is received by both grace and faith. In these two stories, it's interesting to note that these men came across their valuables differently. Without reading too much into the parables of Jesus, but it's, it's f- fair to notice as I was kind of analyzing and breaking down and trying to understand this this week, I almost went with sort of a comparative approach to this sermon, but I didn't. But in this part of the story, this first man seemingly stumbles across the treasure. He stumbles across the treasure. Did you know that if it were not for the grace of God Almighty, not a one of us would have stumbled across the pearl of great price? The grace of God is at work. You see, remember last week we we talked about the talents and the third servant. What did the third servant do? He buried his talent, right? And this man is working in a field and it appears that it's almost coincidental 
that he stumbles across this treasure. Can I tell you something? This is a picture of the grace of Almighty God. Were it not for God's grace, not a one of us would stumble across the treasure of Jesus Christ. See, I don't know about that, Pastor Troy. Well, let me tell you about Apostle Paul. He stumbled across the treasure. He was on his way to Damascus to punch Christians in the face when the Holy Spirit of God and the grace of God was poured into his life and arrested him on that road to Damascus. Can you think about that time in your life when you were doing your own thing and going your own way, but the grace of God intercepted your soul? I think the woman at the well stumbled across the pearl of great price, don't you? She went to the well to get some water, met this Jewish guy that you're not supposed to talk to if you're a woman, and he's a Jew, and he's a man. And he says, ma'am, can I get some water? What are you doing talking to me? She didn't know. She just clunked into something. She was digging around. She didn't even know. She just hit gold. He said, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would ask of me and I would give you a drink. And the drink that I give you, you will never thirst. Oh, my goodness. She just tumbled over a pearl. Why? Because the grace of God, Scripture says, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we might live soberly and righteously in this present age. Aren't you glad for the grace of God that stubbed your toe someday? I love the story. I love the story of Charles Spurgeon. You probably heard this story, but he stumbled across the pearl of great price. He was a young, sort of resolutely attending church. He didn't do it because he loved the Lord. He did it because he was religious. His parents had taught him to do it. The story is that he was 15 years old on a New Year's morning. He decided it would be good to go to church at 15 years of age. His biographer said there was such a blizzard of snow that he was not able to reach the church. He was in the habit of attending. Spurgeon says, when I could go no further, I, I, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist church, which does my Methodist heart good. The preacher who, ha- who was to have conducted the church in the Methodist service that Spurgeon didn't ordinarily attend never got there because of the weather. One of the officers in the church was quickly asked to conduct the service, and he got up with perhaps, they say, 15 people in attendance. The man said Spurgeon, listen, the man said Spurgeon later, Spurgeon said later, was really stupid. His text was, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And he just kept repeating it because Spurgeon says he didn't have anything else to say. Something about Spurgeon caught the preacher's eye and, and, and the preacher said, young man, you look very miserable. And if you're miserable in life, you'll be miserable in death if you do not obey my text. And suddenly the man shouted at Spurgeon, young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. And Spurgeon said, I looked and I saw Jesus for the first time by faith. What happened The grace of God intercepted his life and he stumbled across the pearl of great price. He said, he said, the darkness rolled away and that moment I saw the sun. Spurgeon wasn't searching for anything, but it got him. He stumbled into a fortune. Few people who've ever lived have affected so many souls as Charles Spurgeon has. I don't know about that stupid preacher (laughs) But I hope he just keeps saying the same thing over and over. Let me tell you something. Were it not for the grace of God, not a one of us would be in this room this morning. 
But in the second parable, the man was searching for a pearl of great great price. By grace, the exercise of our faith is required. This is the the reality of how the kingdom works in our lives. God is looking for us, and He's looking for hungry, honest-seeking souls who will find Him. His grace works in our life, but we must sell all we have. We must search for Him. We must exercise faith and put it in Him. The kingdom of heaven, the ruling, reigning presence of God in our life. Let me hurry and say this and be done. The work of the kingdom deserves our highest effort. Our highest and best effort. If the rule and reign of Christ in our life is the pearl of great price, then the work of expanding the kingdom and sharing the treasure of Christ with others is of exponential value to us. Did you know our theology will determine our ministry? Our theology will determine our ministry. If we think Christianity is a coping mechanism that's good for therapeutic management of life's issues, then we'll just cope and we'll deal with it and we'll read nice little things and read our little scripture every morning and it's just a nice little, oh boy, just needed that, that's awesome. But if we believe that salvation is the hope of every soul, And that every person, man, woman, boy, and girl, is going to stand and give an account of themselves to God. But not only that, that every person has the opportunity by the grace of God to live under the ruling, reigning authority of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we ourselves will do whatever we have to do to embrace the kingdom of heaven in our own life and then share the kingdom of heaven with those around us. Amen. It's why we say it all the time. We're not here to sing a little song, pray a little prayer, pass a little offering plate, preach a little sermon and go home. We're here to lead men and women into a relationship with Jesus where they can be ushered into the kingdom of heaven, a reality in their life. It is precious beyond comparison. So here's the message. Two two phrases sum up this message. Number one, we are the merchant. Jesus is the pearl. If, you, if you're not living today, if you're not living today under the lordship and the sovereign reign of Jesus in your life, this is a message that you need to hear. Your prayer needs to be, oh God, forgive me for my pride, forgive me for my waywardness, forgive me for my sin, forgive me for my pursuit of this, my own life, my own way. Lord, I want, I want to live in the kingdom of heaven. Did you know in the kingdom of heaven there's only one king and it ain't me and it ain't you. The king is Jesus and he gives us his spirit, pours grace into our life and we can live in the kingdom of God. That is under the ruling, reigning lordship of Jesus Christ. But the second phrase that you need to hear this morning before you go home is this. Jesus is the merchant. You are the pearl. Because he who had it all gladly gave it up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish. Listen, anybody come into church this morning and you feel like I'm, I'm messed up, I'm not good enough, I'm, 
God doesn't love me. I'm worthless. Can I just tell you something this morning? Jesus sold his entire contents, so to speak, so that he could get his hands on you. Jesus is the merchant. You are the pearl. You are priceless. You are valuable. He loves you. Loves you so much that he gave it all away. His royalty in heaven, the angels adoring and worshiping. He he left that all to come to put his hands on the people that he loves. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Jesus is the merchant. You're the pearl. And he is looking. He is looking to capture you with his love and his grace and his mercy. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, Jesus, we bow before you this morning. We just want to praise you. We want to praise you, Lord. We want to praise you for your love for us. We want to praise you that the kingdom of God is not some historical document. It's also not some futuristic dream only. But the kingdom of heaven is here, ruling and reigning in our hearts and lives. This is my prayer, O God, as the pastor of this church. Blessed to be the pastor of this church, Lord. My prayer is simply this. Oh, Lord, would you raise up an army of my, a mighty army of men and women who've yielded their life to the full control by the grace of God, to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life. I wonder how many of us this morning say, you know, Pastor Troy, yeah, that's me. I, I, I want to I I possess that pearl. I want the Lord to be in full control of my life. And I just, that's my heart's desire. Would you raise your hand if that's your desire this morning? Amen. Thank you, Lord. I want you, Lord. So, Lord, you see our hearts. Lord, this is the cry of of our congregation this morning. Lord, I pray for that person who walked in here today, burdened down with the guilt, the shame of sin. Lord, in this moment, would you even help them to pray? If you're here this morning, you came here unsaved outside of your relationship with the Lord of Jesus Lord Jesus Christ you can pray this simple prayer dear Jesus I'm here and I believe the word of God and I see the value that we've heard from the word of God today on the kingdom of heaven ruling and reigning in my life and I gladly surrender confess my sinfulness and surrender my life to you ask you to be Lord and master You can pray that prayer right now. So, Lord, we just pray for these precious people. And, Lord, I pray today for that person who came in here feeling alone, broken, worthless. Help them to feel the love of God today, wrapping your arms around them, telling them how precious and how valuable they are to you. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.